Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of the Motherkind podcast. I hope you're all doing really well. I am definitely feeling a bit more Christmassy and I am working hard at not succumbing to all the usual pressures and stresses of Christmas because this year I have been really focused for myself and for our community on trying to get to Christmas, not totally burn out from everything that we have to do. So if that is you, if you're resonating and you're feeling like you want some help to feel calmer, less stressed, perhaps you want some help with some tricky family dynamics, then please do check out the workshops that I've been doing recently. They're all linked on my bio in Instagram and listen to the moments, the mother kind moments on a Monday. The last couple have all been about Christmas and I've been sharing tools, concepts and ideas to help you have your happiest, calmest, most joyful Christmas ever, despite all the very real uncertainty and stresses and everything that is going on for us in the UK right now. So this week's episode is really special. It is with Mel Robbins. When I shared on Instagram that I was speaking to Mel, so many of you were in my DMs saying that you loved her and you loved her work. And a lot of you saying, how did you get her on Motherkind? I can't believe she's coming on Motherkind. Well, me too. It was such an honour. Mel was in the UK for just a couple of days. She went on Fern Cotton's incredible podcast and Rongan Chatterjee's incredible podcast and she came on Motherkind. So I was so honoured. I followed Mel for a long time. She's been really influential in helping me achieve some of the changes that I have in my life. If you don't know Mel, she is a former lawyer. She is one of the most sought after motivational speakers in the world. Her TEDx talk has had over 30 million views. She is the author of best-selling books, including her latest book, which is what she was here to talk about, The High Five Habit. I think what I love about Mel is that a lot of her work and her tools and her ideas come from her finding herself stuck in her life in some way. Things not working for her. She finds a way to overcome that and then shares it with us in such a simple, practical, accessible way. And I think she has this real gift for communication. So I first learned about Mel through her second book, I think it was, The Five Second rule, which was brilliant. Essentially, at the time, Mel was in a really hard place in her life and she shares how she was struggling to even get out of bed in the morning. And she figured out this tiny, simple, silly really, little hack where you say five, four, three, two, one, and you take the action. 
And I've been using that for a couple of years. And let me tell you, it is so simple that I never forget it. And it is so brilliant because as Mel shared in that book, our brains work against us when we try and take an action, particularly if it's an action that feels new for us or different or hard. So I've used 54321, book the yoga class, 54321, say no to whatever it might be. 54321, send that message about having that tricky conversation. 54321, set the boundary. 54321, send the email. I just use it all the time to override that procrastination that I can so easily get stuck in. So 54321 action is just brilliant. And that's what Mel's TEDx talk was about. So if you want to learn a bit more, just Google Mel Robbins, loads will come up. And her new tool, which is what we talk about on this episode, is called the High Five Habit. Now, this came out as a result of Mel right at the start of the pandemic, walking into her bathroom one morning and just feeling like she didn't like the woman looking back at her. Her self-criticism was at an all-time high and she did something different. She high-fived herself and she herself said she felt awkward. She thought it was cheesy. She thought it was embarrassing, but she did it anyway. And she did it for a few weeks and she said that she started to notice she felt differently about her relationship with herself. And that's really what this tool is about. It's about the relationship with ourselves And as Mel says, that is the most important relationship that we will ever have because how we feel about ourselves and how we talk to ourselves, of course, impacts everything else in our lives. So Mel is incredibly honest in this episode. She's really vulnerable. I think that's one of the things that I love about her most. She is really unique in that, in that she shares in depth, her challenges and her struggles, but she also shares how she got out of them. I just love her. I think she is incredibly inspiring and brilliant. And I hope that you love the episode and I hope you love her too. Please do let me know what you thought of Mel, what you think of the episode, and let me know if you're going to be giving the high five challenge a go. I've been doing it for about 30 days now, and I've got to tell you, it really works. So here is the episode. Enjoy. Mel, I am beyond honoured. I'm a little nervous and I'm just reframing that. So excited to be chatting with you. When I read The High Five Habit, I said to my assistant, we have got to get Mel Robbins on Mother Kind because if there is ever a group of people who need to be high-fiving themselves right now, it's mothers after everything that we've been through. And you know, Mel, I still speak to mothers every single day in my community who are just beating themselves up. I'm not doing enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not enough for my kids. I always just keep reminding them like what we've been through collectively and how incredible they are. And then here in this book is this tool, which unlike so many other things out there, you can do in, what does it take? 30 seconds? Not even. Seconds. Not even, not even. And I just think every single mother on the planet needs to know about this habit. So thank you for coming up with it. My pleasure. So what did you get from incorporating a high five in the mirror to yourself as part of your morning routine? My experience was pretty much the same as yours in that I started to see the woman behind the woman, you know, I've really been able to be much kinder to myself that compassionate voice is just getting louder and louder and louder. 
And, you know, because of the research in the book about this credible study about the three groups of children going through the hard homework, which hopefully you'll tell us about, I've been high-fiving my kids. And my nearly six-year-old, she could be quite anxious, quite nervous. She's not into trying so much stuff. And I've noticed since I've been high-fiving her, she's been doing things, little things, like she's never had a shower. She hates showers. She hates the feeling. The other day she said to me randomly, mommy, I'm going to go and try a shower. I'm sure it is to do with this high-fiving because I've been doing it pretty consistently with them instead of using all the words because I'm Mm -hmm. a communicator. Mm -hmm. I'm all about the words. And I think that's something, well, it's all in the book, that is just shortcutting straight into her subconscious, the high-five. So thank you. You're welcome. And thank you. That's a really lovely explanation. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, I stumbled into this very simple thing that you need to add to your morning routine. Like it's not even negotiable. Every human being on the planet should be making sure that right after you brush your teeth and you get the gunk out of your mouth so that you don't have nasty breath all day, that you take a moment and you stand with the human being in the mirror and then you raise your hand. You don't say a word, but just raise your hand and high five yourself before you leave a bathroom so you can get all the negative gunk out of your mind, body, and spirit. I started doing it just because it was going through a really rough time and it looked like the woman in the mirror who seemed exhausted and overwhelmed by life could use a high five. And so as cheesy as it sounds, one morning in April of 2020, standing in my bathroom in my underwear, I just high fived my reflection and it felt good. And I felt a little encouraged and I laughed when I did it that very first morning. And then I kept doing it every morning for the next couple of weeks. And I was noticing that even though my problems in life felt very overwhelming And it was a very difficult moment, both for me, for our kids who were struggling with anxiety at the time, because it was the very beginning stages of the quarantine and their anxiety was in full swing. And so was their grief and their anger because university had just been shut down. Their lives have imploded. They found themselves back home like everybody else feeling robbed of the life that they had worked really hard to create for themselves in terms of their college experience. And so navigating their grief, their anger, their anxiety was overwhelming. And as I would wake up and I would add this high five in the mirror to send myself into the day, I was noticing incredible shifts, shifts in my mood, shifts in my focus, shifts in my resilience, shifts in my sense of being able to face what was going on in life. And then about a month after practicing this every day, I posted a photo online, no instructions, just a photo of me with my retainer in high-fiving the mirror. And within an hour, more than a hundred people around the world had posted photos of themselves high-fiving themselves in the mirror. And I thought, okay, well, hold on. Clearly I'm not the only one who feels overwhelmed by life right now. And obviously I'm not the only one who needs this encouragement in their life. And so I've spent the last year researching this high five habit, I call it, and all the habits in the book, because the high five in the mirror is just the beginning of creating a whole new relationship with yourself that builds on self-worth, self-awareness, self-respect, 
self-encouragement, self-acknowledgement, self-love, self-respect. And when you can flip yourself from a state of constantly criticizing and harping on yourself, and I think for moms in particular, the criticism is relentless. The drive to do everything perfectly, relentless. The feeling that you're not doing enough whether you don't have the balloon arch at your kid's birthday or you don't have the right clothing for your kids or they're not going to the right nursery school or you can't get your picky kid to actually eat all the green vegetables. Like whatever it may be that you're focused on that you think somehow you're a better mom if you have a nicer party for your kids or you can provide more. Relentlessly focusing on what you're not doing will not make you a perfect mother. It will give you anxiety. It will make you feel miserable. And what I'm here to tell you is there is something else available to you that when you learn how to look at the woman you see in the mirror every morning and stop picking her apart, but actually see a woman who deserves celebration, a woman who is trying her best, a woman who has big goals and dreams of her own and shouldn't bury everything that you got into your kids. That when you start to see the potential of your life, when you start to accept everything you are doing and acknowledge that and make that your baseline, your whole life changes. And for those of you that are really interested in raising confident, resilient, independent kids, this is the secret for them too. Because if they can't cheer for themselves, if your kids can't look in the mirror as a teenager and see someone they like, they are going to struggle with anxiety. They're going to struggle with comparison. They're going to get addicted to social media more so than everybody already is because they will not have the baseline of really liking themselves. And you can't do that for them. You can show them what it looks like by doing it for yourself. It's so powerful and it's so fundamental. And one of the reasons that I love your work, Mel, is that before this book, you had so much success. You're one of the most booked speakers in the world, one of the highest paid speakers in the world. And yet you say with so much humility that you hadn't totally got this idea that a relationship with yourself is the most important relationship in the world. And I feel like this has just been my fundamental shift as well, is understanding this. It's not about the relationship with I have with my kids or my work or my husband. It's with myself. Yeah, look, I'm 53. How old are you? 38. Oh, if I could have known this at 38. I think one of the reasons why I have become so successful in such a short period of time, because, you know, for those of you that are just meeting me for the first time, just over 10 years ago, I hit rock bottom at the age of 40. My husband and I were $800,000 in debt. And that was due to a restaurant business that my husband and his best friend had opened, and it was not going well. And we had secured the entire thing with our home, with our kids' college savings, with credit cards, with a home equity line. And, you know, everything's wonderful when the business goes well, but when everything starts to tank, it takes everything with it. And so, you know, we literally could not buy groceries. There was no money. Checks were bouncing nonstop. I lost my job. And at the age of 40, 
I didn't recognize myself. I had such crippling anxiety. I couldn't get out of bed. I felt like the world's worst mother because I had failed my children. I was so angry at my husband because it was easier to be pissed off at him than to be afraid. And I think that there are moments in your life where you look up and you say, this is not how I expected to feel. This is not what I thought it would be like. And when your problems feel super overwhelming, it's paralyzing. And that's how I felt. I felt paralyzed. And, you know, one of the things I want you to hear is that it's easy to know what to do because the what is obvious. Like I knew I needed to look for a job. I knew I needed to stop screaming at my kids. I knew I needed to stop being so angry at my husband. I knew I needed to stop drinking four Manhattans a night and falling asleep in the living room. I knew I needed to tell my friends and my family what was going on and to stop hiding but I couldn't make myself do it. And it was during this rock bottom moment that I, out of desperation, came up with this simple little trick to help me get out of bed and not get pinned in bed by the anxiety. And the trick was this, when the alarm rings, we all know that moment, the alarm rings and your immediate reaction isn't like, yeah, another day. Your immediate reaction is another day. And then the anxiety comes roaring in. And next thing you know, you're hitting the snooze button and you're dreading your day or you're staring at the ceiling and you're just thinking about everything that's going wrong. I started doing this thing where I would count backwards, five, four, three, two, one, to launch out of bed. And my thought was, if the alarm rang and I counted five, four, three, two, one, maybe I could launch myself so quickly the way that space engineers launch a rocket into space that I beat the anxiety. And it worked. And so I went on to use this little countdown thing, five, four, three, two, one, to push myself through the fear and anxiety and self-doubt that was keeping me from taking the actions that would change my life. I got a job. I five, four, three, two, one would stop myself from screaming at Chris, five, four, three, two, one. I'd lower my voice with the kids, five, four, three, two, one. I started taking all the actions that changed everything. And I tell you that because after discovering the five-second rule, I turned my whole life around and then word about the five second rule got out. People started to ask me to speak. And I have since in the last seven years built, as you mentioned, a wildly successful media business in personal development beyond my wildest dreams. But it wasn't until I discovered the high five habit in April of 2020 that I came face to face with what my actual problem was. And I think the problem that I had is the exact same problem every single human being struggles with. And it is the habit of hating yourself, of criticizing yourself, of focusing on everything that you're doing wrong instead of the thousand things you do right. It's being relentless in your perfectionism, relentless in your comparison, relentless in your self-doubt. And if you're kind of sitting there going, oh, I don't know, Yeah, it's relentless. You know how you have a friend who's texting you and you see those three little dots and you feel the surge of, oh my God, what are they going to say? That's a form of self-rejection because you automatically think you're going to be in trouble. You know how you rewrite every email, you put emojis in there to soften the like, you can't quite draw boundaries. You're worried about how people are, what's going to happen. Your friends go out to lunch and they forget to invite you. And you suddenly think the world is, this is all habits of self-criticism, self-rejection, constantly questioning what you're doing as a mom. And 
as busy as I was, as successful as I was, as fulfilled as I was with the work that I was doing, I looked in the mirror every morning and I saw a woman who had not done enough. And I think so many of you are struggling with perfectionism because you don't believe that you are worthy as you are. And I want to unpack something because one of the reasons why women in particular marry our self-worth and whether or not we're deserving of love with being perfect, having the perfect hair, the best makeup, the best birthday party, the best looking marriage on social media, whatever it is, the body, the nails, the whole thing is because we believe that it's not until we achieve that thing that we are worthy of being loved or celebrated. That it's not me that deserves to be celebrated. It's the fact that my nails look good. And what happens when you marry achievement of anything with your own validation and worth as a human being is you end up feeling exactly how I did, which is nothing's ever going to be enough because the second you have the perfect nails, now you got to go get something else. The second you get the gorgeous balloon spray and the just right photo and you post it on Instagram, now you got to do something else because you've matched your worthiness as a human being with achieving. And I'll tell you why we all do that. It's because you get positive praise when you get good grades, when you look cute. When we were all little girls, our parents were like, you look so adorable. You know, I love that dress on you. When you get good grades, everybody celebrates and pins it up. When you make the you know lacrosse team, everybody's excited. When you get into university, people are cheering. And so we naturally start to go, oh, if I'm doing all these things, then that means that people love me. So when you're now a new mom and you're home, and you've got milk stains on your shirt, and you haven't read a book in a month, and you feel like you've lost a sense of yourself because you're not doing anything except for the most important job in the world, which is taking care of a human being, you start to feel lost as a human because what you actually feel you need is some sort of validation. And I'm here to tell you, your entire fucking life will change. If you can learn how to look in the mirror and validate yourself, complete with the milk stains on your shirt, exactly as you are, there is something else that's possible. And because you're a mom, I can explain this to you. It doesn't matter what your kids do. They could take their diaper off and take a poop on the living room floor. And they do. It's happened. (laughs) Yes. And in that moment, You feel two things. You feel annoyed because you got to clean this up and you still love your child exactly how they are. And now that I have a 23-year-old and a 21-year-old and a 16-year-old, I will tell you that doesn't change. They piss you off more, but you never stop loving them. You never see them and go, I don't love you because your hair sucks. Or, you know what? You don't want to go to medical school? Well, I'm not going to love you anymore. You never, ever, ever stop loving them. And what I 
had this profound breakthrough when I became a parent and I started doing this high five habit is I realized, oh my God, the profound, unconditional love that I have for my kids, no matter what they do or what they're not doing. I love my son the exact same when he was getting D's and failing out of school because we didn't know he had dyslexia as when he's now getting the proper tutoring that he needs and he's getting straight A's. Hasn't changed how much I love him. Either one, either one. What I never understood is that you can have that relationship with yourself. Like imagine if you had the experience of standing before yourself in front of the mirror. And first of all, being able to look at yourself, which 50% of men and women cannot do or will not do because they are disgusted or disappointed with where they are in life. And 91% of we women, based on research, do not like how we look. And so when you look in the mirror right now, what you are focused on, if you're looking in the mirror, is you're focused on all the shit you need to fix. The reason why we put on makeup is not additive. You're covering things up. You're making yourself look better. That is a form of self-rejection. Makeup and hairstyles are amazing if it's additive, if it's a form of expression. When you're covering up fixing, it's a form of self-rejection. So what I'm here to tell you is that conditioning of seeking approval outside yourself and marrying achievement with worthiness has been conditioned in you. And that habit and pattern that is relentless of only seeing what you need to fix, criticizing yourself, hiding in the back of photos, not accepting who you are and where you are now, that has been conditioned in you. And you can break these habits and you need to. Where does this come from, Mel? Because you say this brilliantly in the book and I was like punching the air because I've got a little two-year-old as well as my six-year-old. And she must have fallen over a hundred times a day when she was trying to walk. She just kept getting back up. You know, when she looks at a mirror, she literally runs to a mirror and she's like snogging herself and she loves herself. And I'm like, when does this happen? And what can we as parents do? Like, I've got this little two-year-old who loves herself. Is there anything that I can be doing to make sure that that break in her relationship with herself doesn't happen or maybe happens to a lesser extent than you and I have experienced it? Well, I don't think we can prevent the break happening. Really? Nope. I don't think it's possible. And it's part of evolution And it's part of our hard wiring to go through a developmental period where you kind of separate not only from your parents to become an individual and your friends become way more important than your family for a period of time. Because from an evolutionary standpoint, you would need to separate from your folks to go form your own family union. Mm -hmm. And so when teenagers get really annoying and push you away and become rebellious, that is part of their DNA. They're hardwired to do that at that age because they are having a need to grow up and become their own person with their own family. It's also why friends become more important to teenagers in terms of their sort of primary influence than parents do. All part of evolution, all perfectly normal, all things that need to happen. But what you're talking about is something I write about in the book. When you're born, 
every single human being is hardwired for self-love. The way you just described your two-year-old is what everybody does. We get up when we fall down as we're learning to walk. We love our reflection. We run to the mirror. We raise our hands. We twirl. And at some point, I think it's usually between ages eight and 10, at some point, all of a sudden, your brain goes from this self-loving machine to turning into the sorting hat from Harry Potter. I'll explain. So you may not remember this, but we've all had the experience of getting a tray at the school cafeteria and walking into the open room to look for a place to sit. When you are five, six, seven, eight years old, you'll grab that tray and run toward anybody you want to sit with. But at some point, instead of just running toward anybody because you love yourself, it doesn't even occur to you that somebody else might not like you because you like yourself so much. And this is a key piece because liking yourself, your relationship with yourself is the foundation of every relationship that you have. So if you're secure in who you are, you won't ever be worried about what other people think because what they think does not change how you feel about yourself. But at some point, eight, nine, 10, something happens in the brain. And instead of running without abandon to wherever you want to go, your brain goes, whoa, turns into the sorting hat from Harry Potter and starts going, wait a minute, those girls have fancy clothes and you don't. Those girls don't look like you. Those are the sporting girls. Those are the arts girls. That group over there is where you can sit. And you start to see the world in places that you belong and places that you don't. That's just sort of how it happens for everybody. However, if you grew up in a household with trauma, if you grew up in a household where you were abused, if you grew up in a household with addiction, with mental illness, with a mother who was critical or passive aggressive, if you as a child never knew where your next meal was coming from, if it was constant chaos and you were always waiting for the other shoe to drop, that break happened earlier because you didn't feel safe. And when a child doesn't feel safe, they don't have the life experience to go, these adults are screwed up and somebody needs to call the police. The child says there's something wrong with me. Yeah. And that then turns the criticism at you. And so this is a very normal thing that happens in a child's brain. And the high five habit and high fiving your reflection every morning as part of a morning routine is what will break that habit of rejection and criticism. And it will repair it and replace it with a habit of self-acceptance, self-validation, and self-love. And the reason why this works is because the action of high-fiving the mirror, first of all, it's a physical action, which is really important. You're not saying anything. You literally put your toothbrush down and look at yourself. And for most of you, that's going to be the hardest part to just actually look at yourself. And then as you go to raise your hand, you can be thinking, oh my God, they've lost their freaking minds. This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And as you get close to the mirror, you're going to notice something. Here's what you're going to notice. The voice disappears. There's silence. And the reason why there's science is your brain is moving from judgment to all the programming that's already stored in your mind related to high-fiving. So Emma, when you high-five somebody, what does the high-five communicate to someone? 
Oh, you're telling someone that you see them, that you celebrate them, that you know that they've got this. It's just that real sort of moment of, yeah, you got this, isn't it? Yeah. And if it's a challenge that I see that it's hard and I still believe in you, keep going. All that programming, by the way, associated with the gesture of high-fiving, just like when you raise your hand and go like this, it doesn't matter what language, your brain has programming that says, hello, it's a greeting, it's safe, right? Same with the high five. All the programming is here. And this action means I believe you. I see you. I love you. I got you where you are, no matter what. And so the reason why this is so powerful, everyone, is because you're taking neural association programming that is in your brain that you've actually developed from high-fiving everybody else or watching sports teams high-five each other. The programming's in your mind and you're now aiming it at your own reflection. And that physical action and that programming, the neural association, now gets married with your reflection and how you think and see yourself. It takes less than five days. I'm not kidding. That's how powerful the science is. In addition, when you go to high five yourself, you'll either laugh or you'll cry, or you'll just kind of feel this odd sort of suspension of time because there's a drip of dopamine that also happens. The second you give yourself the high five, the brain always rewards you with dopamine when somebody else does it. So it rewards you with dopamine when you do it for yourself. And that chemical makes you feel better. It makes you laugh. It makes your mood lighten. The other thing that will happen is your arms by being raised, it raises your energy. You see for your whole life instinctually, In moments of celebration, you raise your arms. I mean, what do you do when you cross the finish line? Raise your arms. When your team scores, raise your arms. When you yell surprise at a birthday party, you raise your arms. When you say hello, you raise your arms. So when you raise your arm to high five yourself, even on your lowest of days, you get a little bit of celebratory energy in you. And that's why this thing works. It's just so powerful. And I just love how simple it is. You know, I heard you talking, I can't remember, I think it was with Fern Cotter actually, about the power of also adding in an intention with this. Because Mm -hmm. I I also want to talk about the reticular activating system, which is just everyone needs to know about that. So I want to make sure we talk about that as well. So, you know, when we're high-fiving, how powerful is it to also add in how you want to show up? Well, in the beginning... I recommend you don't add a mantra. And here's why. The reason why is you have spent a lifetime beating yourself up. So think about when snow falls in the winter and a plow comes and plows a path. You have a path in your brain around criticism that's like a path plowed in the snow. It is really well-defined. One of the reasons why mantras can be very, very tricky and positive affirmations can be very, very tricky is because we tend to, when we're tired of feeling negative emotions, we tend to grab a positive mantra that is so unbelievable because it's so far away from how we feel that your mind immediately rejects it because of the plow path that's already in your brain. Like it's so defined for you to hate how you look, for example. This is a super common one. I love body positivity. I don't care what anybody weighs, what shape they are, as long as you love how you are, it doesn't matter, you know, what anybody else thinks, right? 
The problem, though, is for most of us, we don't like how we look. And so we fix our faces. We hide in the back of photos. We look in the mirror and go, ugh. We see pictures of ourselves, and our immediate thought is, do I really look like that? Ugh. You know, you're pulling on your jeans. You're like tucking shit in. Like it's just constant rejection, constant rejection. So as much as you deserve to stand in front of a mirror and go, thank you, body, for getting me this far. I love you, stripes. You gave me my children. You know, like all these things that we know we're supposed to feel. If you've spent a lifetime hating on yourself, a positive affirmation will not work because your behavior has proven that you believe the opposite. And in fact, research shows that that positive affirmation is going to make you feel worse because you know you don't believe it. And the fact that you should believe it now adds a layer of sort of shame and like all that crap. So what do you do instead? Well, number one, you're going to start practicing the high five habit because especially when you don't like yourself, it is an act of self-acceptance for where you are. It's an act of belief in self for where you want to go. It's an act of forgiveness for all the things that you regret doing. It's an act of self-compassion. Like it is just a beautiful, kind, amazing, accepting thing to do. And it quiets the critic, by the way, when you accept where you are. So you're going to do that for five days. Because in doing it for five days, according to one of the world's leading neuroscientists, after five days of doing it, the dopamine and the celebratory stuff in your nervous system really starts to take hold. And on day five, there are even more chemicals that start to get released in your favor. On day five, if you want to start to add in a new belief, what I would recommend doing is write it on a post-it note and then put it on the mirror. And you don't even need to say it yet because all I want you to do is to let the physical gesture and all of the benefit from the programming in your body just continue to marry with your reflection while you're thinking the words, I believe in you. I love you. I thank you. I think you're beautiful. You don't even have to like the gesture along with that, do that for another five days. Then if you want to try, to say those things as you do this, you're welcome to. I actually don't say anything. I don't say, you got this. I don't say, go get them. I literally, every once in a while, I'll be like, go get them, Mel. But I literally just do it because it feels so good. It's a moment of partnership with myself. And, you know, I told you that, you know, 53 years old, I don't ever remember a moment in my adult life where I've looked forward to seeing Mel Robbins, the human being in the mirror. I've looked forward to an outfit. I've looked forward to seeing a haircut, but I've never looked forward to seeing me the human because I didn't like myself. I didn't think I was good enough. I didn't think I had accomplished enough and lots of regrets about motherhood and how I showed up as a mom and things I did as a young mom. And so, so much judgment, so much criticism. Simply adding this high five to the morning routine has completely reprogrammed my mind. I now see the woman in the mirror, Mel Robbins, and I love her unconditionally the way I love my children. And what that means is that I encourage her. I root for her. I point out, just like you do with my kids, all the things she's doing right. I remind her that she's a good person. I remind her that if she puts in the work, she can make anything happen. I remind her 
that she deserves to be treated with respect. And then I raise my hand and high five it. It's incredible. I don't even know how to describe how profound this is because it goes down to the core of who you are and how you feel about yourself. And if every single morning you wake up and you beat the shit out of yourself, how is that helping you? It's funny, isn't it? Because we think that beating ourselves up, you need to do better, it works. But all the studies, partly thanks to Kristen Neff, you know, show us that the opposite is true. The opposite is true, that when we can be kind to ourselves, and we all know this instinctually as parents, when we scream at our kids, they don't do better. They just Mm -hmm. get afraid and frozen, right? Yeah. And that's a great analogy because you're right. When you yell at your kids, they get a trauma response. Yes. And we have done that to ourselves. And here's the thing. None of us knew any better because our parents didn't know any better. And so when you get really in touch with sort of the type of criticism that you're delivering to yourself, you'll realize, oh, this sounds a lot like how my dad talked to my mom or my mom talked to herself or my grandmother talks to my mother. And so it's not even your voice. Your brain learns patterns and you've adopted someone else's pattern. Well, our mutual friend, Dr. Nicole, talks about this. Mm -hmm. She says it's not the inner critic, it's the inherited critic. That was just like light bulb for me. Mm -hmm. So to that point, just one more thing. I mentioned I want you to do this after you brush your teeth because we know based on research that when you marry a new habit, high-fiving the mirror, with an old habit brushing your teeth, your brain is more likely to encode it quickly. So you're getting the gunk out of your mouth so that you start your day with a fresh, clean, wonderful breath, right? When you start to high-five the woman you see in the mirror to send her into the day, knowing she's got your support and your love, you are clearing out generational gunk. Your grandmother never had that kind of support. Your mother, as much as you may hate her, never had that kind of support. And so you have the opportunity for yourself and for your children to clear that gunk out of your DNA and out of your daily operating system and patterns and family structure. Is there anything more powerful than that? I mean, it doesn't get bigger, does it? No. And, you know, for those of you that have experienced trauma or struggling with shame and regret, the high five is critical for you because it's an act of forgiveness. You know, and I all experience trauma to some extent. Oh, for sure. When I first started doing this in April of 2020, my husband has been recently diagnosed with, I think it's called dysthymia, which is a long-term form of depression. And when I started doing the high five, I know he was kind of like rolling his eyes at me. And about a month into it, once I saw these selfies, I turned to him and I said, I really think you should try this. I have a thought that this is going to be a huge thing in terms of your depression. And he looked at me and he's like, That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I'm sorry, Mel, I'm not doing it. And I'm like, all right, if you won't do it for yourself, please do it for me. Five days, give me five days. Just add it in for five days. And then after the five days, we sat down and I, because I just wanted to know, I was starting this research project. What did you feel? What was the resistance? And here's what he shared with me. And I think this is important to also understand. So I've stood next to Chris. We've been married 25 years this year. Congratulations. Thank you. We 
have been standing next to one another at our sinks in the bathroom for the past seven years. And I say seven years because seven years ago, my husband's restaurant business shut down. And thankfully, that was right when the five second rule became known because I had shared it on a stage and then that talk went viral. And so I was starting to really get asked to speak and get paid to speak. And by the way, we still had $800,000 worth of liens on our house as of seven years ago. I only got those all paid off four years ago. So I have my career starting to go like this. Chris bottoms out, restaurant business is over. He stops drinking. He goes into recovery. He's practicing yoga. He's meditating. He's becoming a Buddhist, like really going on the journey. I had no idea that for the past seven years, despite the meditating, despite the yoga, despite the journaling, despite the therapy, that man was standing next to me in the bathroom. And when I looked in the mirror and saw him, I saw the world's best dad. I saw an entrepreneur who had tried and, you know, look, they did it for eight years. You win some, you lose some. I'm proud of him. When he looked in the mirror, he saw a failure. He saw a man who could not provide for his family. He saw a man who had lost our money. He saw a man who had lost his friend's money. He saw the world's worst father, the world's worst husband. I had no idea. No idea. And so he said, the reason why I think I said that's stupid, I'm not doing it, is because you only high five a winner. Why on earth would I high five a person that I think is the world's worst person on the planet? A failure. And so what happened in the five days for him is that as he was pushing through the resistance, of high-fiving somebody, he's been judging, shaming, condemning. That voice shuts down and he starts to get in touch with what he really needs, which is forgiveness, which is compassion, which is permission to grow and to move on and to put that in the past. And it created a massive breakthrough in his therapy because he started to get more in touch with himself. And that's what led to him getting diagnosed with depression and treated for dysthymia. And I mean, it could save his life. And so you have no idea the condemnation and the judgment that people are living with inside themselves. And that's why this is so important. That if you want to teach your kids how to be self-accepting, you've got to show them. If you want to teach them how to love themselves, you've got to show them. You can't tell them. Because in the example I just gave you, I can't tell my husband I'm proud of him. He's not going to believe it because he doesn't think that about himself. It's so fascinating, isn't it? How, you know, and you talk about this in the book, Chris has absolutely enabled you to achieve what you've achieved it sounds like he's been the biggest supporter and it's so easy and I feel like it's about friends of mine that phone me up in a mess and I'm like are you kidding me like look at what you're doing you are holding this family together you've also got this stressful job I can instantly see how incredible they are this is why what your you know the high five habit is just so beautiful because it turns even a small percentage of that ability of us to be kind and to love people around us and to see them Mm-hmm. back to ourselves, which is where we, we need it the yeah. most, right? It's true. 
Oh. It's just such a tragedy, isn't it? It's such a tragedy that so many of us, we're all... It's not even so many of us, it's everybody. everybody. There's not a person that you know that isn't tortured inside their own mind. There isn't a person that you know that isn't relentlessly hard on themselves. I mean, I still have really bad days, but I have the tools now to pick myself up. And I think that's the other point that's really exciting about this is that this isn't about getting you to a state of perfection. Like this is not going to turn you into a narcissist where you are so selfish and self-absorbed. This is anchored in awareness and compassion. It gives you the tools to be able to ride the ups and downs of life. Do I get knocked down? Absolutely. Like in this book launch for the past six weeks, there's been some super highs and some really low lows. You know, in my life, there's a lot that's gone on even in just the past six weeks, some stuff going on with our kids that has been incredibly challenging. And what I know and have experienced and what I also know, having now published this book, done this research project for a year, we have something called the High Five Challenge, which you can take, which is a free five-day challenge that more than 136,000 people in 91 countries have taken in 34 days. And what I know is high-fiving yourself doesn't remove any of the problems that you have. It doesn't change the fact that life can be difficult. It changes you and your ability to face those problems and your ability to know that no matter what, you're going to be okay, that something better is coming. If you're working really hard and something doesn't work out, it's because something better is coming for you. And when you can anchor yourself in that level of faith, the same kind of thing we do with our kids, like we can do that for our kids in terms of helping them manage disappointment and sadness and grief and betrayal and all that stuff. But we cannot believe it when it's ourselves and we're trying to coach ourselves through it. And the high five habit has fundamentally changed that aspect for me. Yeah. It's just that ability to trust ourselves, right? Mm Mm-hmm. It just takes away so much of the noise and the stress and the worry and the anxiety. Totally. I I know we're coming to the end, but I just wanted to touch on that because something that you talk about so brilliantly, you know, is anxiety. And you're Hmm. so open that you've struggled with it for 30 years. And, you know, you talk about that as in projecting worry into the future, you know, when we start to become anxious. And almost every single parent I speak to every single day says some version of, I'm so worried that my kid's not going to be okay. And I think I've got this unique moment where I'm speaking to a mother of three grown-up children and this world leader in personal development and someone who struggled with anxiety. How can you help that parent, you know, and I'm probably asking this for myself, who worries a lot about their kids? Well, I think it's a good thing to worry about your kids. And the reason why we worry about our kids is because our parents worried about us. So we assume that's what it means and what you're supposed to do if you love your kids. I think worry, you know, is an important thing and it's important if it's productive. So if you're worried about something and it motivates you to change your behavior or put in a new process or to do something for the better, that's a good thing. But if your worry is more of the ruminating self-destructive type that keeps you up at night, that's a terrible thing. And here's the other thing. Your worrying isn't keeping your kids safe. I need to say that again. Worrying does not keep your kids safe. 
having a concern about something and then taking action to put some sort of system or structure or something in place is a thing that could keep your kids safe. Like one thing that I can give you an example is we have a daughter that's going to college university in Los Angeles. And my husband and I have the controls on our iPhones around sort of working hours and putting this phone on silent because I, you know, have a lot of try to keep a lot of boundaries with my phone. Otherwise I'll be on it 24 seven. And all of a sudden I started to be really worried. Well, what if one of our kids needs us? What if our daughter can't reach us? What if this, what if that, what if the other thing? And, you know, you can let that kind of thing consume you or you can Google, how do I set up silence on my phone so that certain numbers can come through? Yeah. Like, Like there's literally that kind of thing. So there's steps that you can take to address the underlying concern without consuming yourself with the what ifs. Another thing that you can do that I think is just wildly, wildly helpful is when you catch yourself going, what if this, you know, what if that, what if the other thing, what if they miss the bus? What if they get run over by the bus? What if that happens? What if this happens? What if they don't get invited? What if this mother does this? What if they get abused? What if When I catch myself doing that, I go, what if it all works out? What if they do miss the bus? And it's the best thing that ever happened because it teaches them that they're going to be okay. What if they do forget their lunch? And what if they have to ask a friend to share? And what if they learn something from being able to ask for what they need? What if it all works out? Completely flips the dynamic. And here's the single biggest thing I learned as a parent. And I learned this because I made the single biggest mistake when my kids struggled with anxiety. I, whenever my kids were worried or on edge or upset about anything, would swoop in and rescue them. Oh, you're worried about your math? Okay, let me help you out with this. I'll call the math teacher, don't worry. Oh, you're worried about the coach? Oh, well, let me run in. Oh, you're worried about this? Oh, well, let me go run and buy you new shoes? Oh, you're worried about the sleepover? Well, you can do a sleep under. You know, like it's just constantly, oh, you're worried about nightmares? You can sleep on my floor for six months. You can sleep with mommy. It's okay. No, 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 no. Do not make that mistake. And let me tell you why. Number one, fears are normal. Your job as a parent is not to remove fear. It's to teach your children how to face them. When you say you can do a sleep under, you're saying, I don't believe you have it in you to do a sleepover. When you say, you don't have to go to school if you're anxious, you're saying, I don't think you're strong enough to go to school. And you are also making, I need mommy as a coping mechanism to any uncertainty in life. You are locking in, I feel uncertain, make mom deal with it as a new habit. Anxiety, by the way, everybody, is not a disease. Yes, you can be diagnosed with general anxiety disorder, but in the traditional sense of feeling anxious, having sort of general anxiety day in and day out, that is a learned behavior. That is a coping mechanism to uncertainty. You allow yourself to get so worked up that either you opt out So you don't have to face the uncertainty or you get so worked up that mommy comes in and rescues you and now you don't have to face it. And look, it is hard. It is hard to stand outside of your 10 year old's bedroom, which I had to do and say, I'm just going to stand in the hallway, but you're going to sleep in your own room. 
Of course, you can come down and wake me up if you have another nightmare, but you're not going to sleep on the floor of my bedroom. That is just so helpful. You know, want to know why? Because I believe in your ability to face this. You are stronger than you think. Yes, I'm going to support you through this. Another thing that you can do instead of like intervening with coaches and teachers is do what you should do as a parent, which is not rescue your children. Sit down with them and help them think through it. What is it that scares you? What do you think you could do? Let's rehearse options. If A happens, what do you think we should do? If B happens, try this way. C happens, here's another idea. Which one feels right for you? What's the thing you're really scared of? And, you know, by the way, the throwing up thing, that's the number one fear in kids. The kids get worried that they're going to throw up. This is the number one fear kids have. Second one is that you're going to die. And what happens if you also placate the throwing up is it gets way worse. Because when somebody gets nervous, your stomach chemistry changes. Take me a little while to explain it, but butterflies. Yeah, so you feel sick. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you think that the fact that your stomach is gurgly means you're now going to puke. So when kids get nervous, if you allow them to like ride it out, they're literally going to be like, oh my God, my stomach. Oh my God, I'm going to puke. Oh my God. And now they're escalating into panic. And so you want to intervene at the worry state. Oh, what are you worried about? Okay. Well, let's problem solve. What could you do? So helpful now. Thank you. I know I'm super conscious of your time. I imagine you are back to back to back to back. But I always ask the same question at the end, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why? I am giving you the gift of the high five habit. Don't ever leave your bathroom in the morning without high fiving the most important person in your life. And that's you. Send yourself into the game of life, the game of motherhood, knowing that no matter what, you have your own back. That is beautiful. Thank you. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the book. I just encourage everyone to go and check out that five free day challenge. It is brilliant. And the book, it is, there's so much more in the book that we've been able to touch on and it is incredible. So thank you. Thank you. It's been amazing to talk to you. So that was the episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. As ever, if you did, please consider sharing it with your friends and leaving me a review on iTunes. It really does make a difference to the number of mums that we can reach with the brilliant wisdom of the guests I have on. Also, just a reminder about the Family Reset Plan. It's my latest offering to parents. I think that we are living in probably the challenge of our lifetimes. Well, definitely so far. And as parents, we not only have to support ourselves, we also have to support our children. And that is a lot. So the Family Reset Plan is myself and two brilliant psychologists and we give you step-by-step, simple, applicable ways that you can support yourself emotionally to feel stronger, calmer, and therefore to support your children in a different way. It's all grounded in psychology and neuroscience. It's just 25 pounds currently. And if you work for the NHS, it is totally free for you. So check out the website, familyresetplan.co.uk. Take care, I'll see you next time. 
Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm Nicole. And if you enjoy this show, you will love our podcast, Self Care Club. Every week, we trial a different form of self care and report back on the results. We've tried everything from cuddle therapy, setting boundaries, laughter yoga, and many more. Two friends who rarely agree on anything, testing out the world of self care so you don't have to. We've even written a book dedicated to self care practices that cost you nothing. You can listen to Self Care Club wherever you get your podcasts. Or to purchase our book, search Have You Tried This on Amazon.